0: So, we have been speaking about the mind or mental activity and the five aggregate factors that uh, make up each moment of our experience. We have uh, basically covered the uh, presentation, but uh, as a review, mental activity, as uh, we have uh, seen, is... uh, Going on on the basis of uh, physical um, basis. So the various uh, cognitive uh, sensors and uh, neural um, apparatus of the uh, body, brain, nervous system, and so on. And uh, we've seen that uh, we can describe mental activity from a physical of view of what's going on in each moment in terms of uh, the firing of neurons and uh, neural transmitters and uh, all of the brain activity. But we can also uh, equally well describe it from the point of view of uh, individual subjective experiencing of something. And this is what uh, we mean by mind in uh, Buddhism is the individual subjective experiencing of something and that uh, is defined that uh, mental activity in terms of uh, two aspects or points of view we can uh, speak of them as uh, clarity and uh, awareness that's the uh, general uh, way of uh, defining it clarity is uh, the arising of a Mental hologram, in other words, the transformation of data into information, and that is uh, inseparable appearance making, that means another way of saying giving rise to a uh, mental hologram and the appearances. That's uh, one side, one way of looking at it, that's uh, referred to as the conventional truth of. Mental activity. And the other side is uh, awareness, and uh, awareness is a cognitive engagement. And we've seen that uh, transformation of visual data into uh, visual information is, in fact, what seeing is. So there is no uh, dualism here between clarity and awareness. This awareness side is, uh, there are many different ways of being aware of, uh, something, and, uh, it is, uh, occurring, uh, with, uh, being devoid of existing as a solid me, being devoid of, uh, existing dualistically from the, uh, uh hologram that's, uh, giving rise to, etc. So, uh, when we speak of the Inseparability of voidness or emptiness and awareness that is referring to the deepest nature of uh, mental activity, and uh, these uh, two truths about uh, mental activity are themselves inseparable and non-dual. neither side is uh, self established by itself independently of uh, the other, independently of uh, all phenomena. There are uh, two ways of uh, speaking about this uh, mental activity. We can speak of it uh, from the uh, pure side, and then we have uh, what's known as uh, foundational pure awareness, uh, also known as uh, mind itself or normal mind there are many uh, different technical terms uh, that are used for it and uh, this is uh, uh, giving rise uh, to pure appearances pure appearances uh, are appearances of uh, uh, various types of uh, mandalas and uh, Buddha figures these sort of uh, things, uh, without an appearance of them as existing dualistically or truly established, <coughs> that uh, but even in terms of this uh, pure awareness or deep awareness, I should call it, is the uh, term yeshi, that uh, it is uh, still has the same uh, defining characteristic. Giving rise to a mental hologram and uh, the uh, a cognitive engagement. But uh, when we have uh, a uh, flaw or a uh, taint or something like that of grasping for truly established dual existence, then, and we don't under you know, know know that that's uh, incorrect, and uh, so on. Then we have uh, that uh, foundational pure awareness working as a uh, foundational dividing awareness. (coughs) You can conceive of that as being non-dual, but uh, you can also conceive of it as uh, the uh, foundational dividing awareness being the uh, uh, support and the uh, deep awareness is what is uh, supported in it. That's also another way of uh, referring to the relation between the uh, two. So uh, we can also see that as uh, this uh, deep awareness underlying the uh, dividing awareness. And then what happens is that, uh, this, uh, uh, foundational dividing awareness gives rise to, uh, appearances of our ordinary, uh, objects. So, uh, regular sensory data, but, uh, particularly with, uh, I mean, sensory data is going on all the time in any case, but, uh, it is giving rise to, uh, conceptually synthesized whole objects we've uh, seen that and uh, these uh, appear because of the habits of grasping for uh, uh, this uh, true dualistic uh, existence they appear to be dualistic in a dualistic way that the awareness side is the self and the uh, object is uh, you know truly existent objects so a dualistic uh, type of way but uh that is just the uh, appearance from uh, dividing consciousness and uh, if we just uh, leave it at that then the uh, two sides not two sides but these uh, two aspects are waves of dharmakaya they're both just uh, mind, mental activity one giving rise to pure appearances one giving rise to these dualistic appearances, that's why it's called dividing consciousness, Uh, that's okay. But uh, in uh, the next moment of conceptual cognition, then there's the grasping for true existence, which is that we don't know that uh, this dualistic appearance doesn't correspond to reality, and we take it to correspond to reality, to actuality, and uh, because we don't know that that's incorrect. We uh, discriminate it incorrectly as uh, being true and uh, then based on uh, that belief in the dualistic appearance, you know, there's some solid me over here and objects over there and you know, we uh, activate all sorts of disturbing emotions and compulsive behavior and brings about suffering so we uh, also saw that uh, whether we speak in terms of foundational uh, deep awareness or foundational dividing awareness there is the uh, seventh consciousness which is uh, aiming at it and uh, uh, affecting it is the actual word it affects it in the sense that it uh, affects it to give rise to mental activity in each moment, so uh, it does that uh, in on both levels in terms of uh, working on foundational deep awareness and working on found or affecting uh, foundational dividing awareness, but. Uh, When we get rid of the grasping for uh, true existence, then, uh, although we may, and I have forgotten, I'm sorry, I didn't look it up, whether uh, you attain, from the Karmakargyu point of view, do you attain liberation first and then uh, after that enlightenment, like attain liberation on the seventh Bhumi and then enlightenment? Is that... Right, so it's the same. So, uh, as in the lupus system, that uh, when you get rid of that, uh, uh, the ignorance and the grasping for true existence in the sense of, you know, believing this, this thing, then you gain liberation, but uh, still there's the arising of the uh, deceptive appearance. You have to get rid of the uh, uh, habits of this uh, grasping for true existence. And uh, then you attain enlightenment. So since you are... We are uh, that... um, The tendencies, the karmic tendencies that are giving rise to the various... You know, uh, as we said, you know, we are experiencing with happiness or unhappiness the ripenings of, of karmic aftermath, so the various, you know, the mental holograms of what we encounter and urges to do various things towards it and uh, all of that, experiencing with happiness or unhappiness, uh, etc., that uh, then, when we no longer have this... Uh, uh, the arising of these uh, dualistic appearances when we've gotten rid of the habits of grasping for true existence with enlightenment, then you no longer have this uh, uh, foundational dividing awareness because there's nothing, you know, you've gotten rid of all of these uh, karmic tendencies and so on that are there. So there's nothing to be activated from it. So if there's nothing to be activated from it, then as a Buddha you just basically have this foundational deep awareness. And at that point the uh, what uh, is said is that the Dharmakaya, the mind itself, this foundational deep awareness then functions as the Dharmakaya of a Buddha that uh, Seventh awareness, which is, uh, um, affecting it, becomes Sambhoga Kaya, and that, uh, dividing awareness now becomes, uh, Kaya. And so this, uh, uh, trio here, which is called, uh, the, uh, deep awareness, the word mind, which uh, is uh, referring to the seventh consciousness and uh, sort of dividing consciousness, which is also our word for consciousness, that uh, these three then uh, are what uh, are become Buddha nature, not Buddha nature, become the three kāyas, the three bodies. And before that, they are Buddha nature factors, which will bring about, or transform into the uh, Buddha bodies. So, this whole system then fits in very nicely with uh, the whole uh, discussion of uh, uh, Buddha nature, uh, that uh, uh, Dharmakaya-abiding Buddha nature factors and uh, all this stuff on uh, the side of uh, uh, dividing awareness are the... um, What's the word? The uh, I can't think of the uh, English word. The uh, the ones that uh, can be transformed, that can be evolving Buddha natures, evolving Buddha nature factors. That uh, we uh, work with these in order to attain enlightenment. So this whole system of the uh, five aggregates fits into our discussion of uh, uh, the presentation in Mahamudra, the presentation in Namshe Yeshe, that's deep awareness, dividing awareness, the uh, whole discussion of Buddha nature, and so on. It uh, is the, the level that we've been discussing at the basic sutra level is the foundation for being able to understand Uh, make sense and fit together all these other more sophisticated presentations. On a practical level, we saw that uh, in each moment if uh, we can deconstruct what's going on in our mental activity uh, uh, into the five aggregates, then uh, we'll be able to actually Work on ourselves to strengthen those factors which are weak, to uh, diminish and uh, work to get rid of those factors which are the troublemakers, especially if they're very strong, and uh, to be able to really understand our minds, you know, what's going on. So, in each moment, we have uh, some item from the aggregate of. Uh, forms of physical phenomenon there is uh, in sensory cognition uh, some uh, arising of uh, sensory uh, well the sensory data coming from uh, its own source will uh, arise as a mental hologram of sensory data of, of information sensory information I would say colored shapes uh, actual sounds and so on And uh, in mental cognition, it would uh, arise as a voice in our head, you know, some representation of a form of physical phenomenon or some mental picture, uh, something like that. And uh, there's the cognitive sensor, which is involved as well. If it's a sensory cognition, so the photosensitive cells of the eyes and so on, so there's always something from that form aggregate. There is uh, a primary consciousness. So there is uh, either one of the uh, sense consciousnesses. And uh, even if there is a moment of uh, sensory consciousness, which is non-conceptual, then, uh, which means without any categories uh, being uh, involved, then... Uh, it's followed by a moment of bare non-conceptual cognition. That bare non-conceptual cognition uh, doesn't occur very often. You get it in uh, uh, extrasensory perception, you know, reading somebody else's mind, stuff like that. But uh, the most common uh, time, or you know, one moment, you know, in a dream, before it turns conceptual so it's uh, not so frequent. So we have primary consciousness in either sense consciousness or mental consciousness that uh, takes the essential nature of what uh, the information is, is it a sight, a sound, smell, taste, physical sensation or some mental object and uh, also what's going on underneath all of this is uh, a foundational, in this case, the foundational dividing awareness, and in this case, the seventh awareness is affecting it to give rise to each moment of uh, mental activity. There is uh, distinguishing, and uh, distinguishing in terms of just this uh, information that uh, is arising is uh, unman- not manifest because uh the way that it is defined and explained in Karmakagya is that it only is uh, operating or manifest with uh, conceptual cognition when we have a mentally synthesized whole object that uh, is, uh, extends over all of the sensory information of uh, the object if it's a physical object And uh, even if it's not a physical object, uh, in both cases, uh, physical and non-physical, something that endures over time, because, uh, in fact, the only thing that is happening is one moment at a time. Previous moment is no longer happening. The next moment is not yet happening. Distinguishing, then, is uh, distinguishing... Uh, this whole object, con- uh, common sense, conventional object, from the background, from anything else that's not it. You know, so you would uh, distinguish um, this item that I see, this object, from the object next to it, and from anything else that's not that object. That's not even present here. There, I don't even. It's not even in my. Cognitive field. Uh, we also have, uh, and at, in that conceptual cognition, in that first moment, we also have a, a category. It is some kind of thing. And uh, those categories, or if it's with words, it is uh, some kind of word with meaning. And uh, then we can associate a uh, an actual word or a name to these categories and through the categories to the individual item that is uh, appearing distinguishing something from something else then we also have uh, so it's its own aggregate feeling some feeling of a uh, level of happiness or unhappiness so how we experience it as a ripening of karma because uh, what is arising is going to, uh, on the uh, one hand, arise from uh, uh, karmic potential, which has to do with uh, how we are experiencing it. But uh, also, we touched on it uh, very uh, briefly. There are, explained in the uh, Theravada system, the uh, five, I forget how we translated it, in Niyamas, sort of the fields of Of action or laws or something like that. And this is uh, in terms of uh, um, the material field. You know, so throwing a ball up in the air and it comes back down. That uh, type of thing that's not coming from our karma. We can experience uh, seeing it with happiness. That's talking about, you know, uh, the experiential side of it. That's what karma is talking about. But things happen also according to other types of uh, laws. There's also uh, the uh, force in terms of just the activity of the senses. Um, and uh, what were the other ones? Uh, Chitta. Pardon? Chitta. Chitta of the uh, mind that it actually is giving rise to uh, mental activity, to the holograms and so on. That's not according to karma. That's just sort of how it works. And uh, Bija. Hmm? Bija. Seed. Uh, seed. Bija. And then the seed, the, that uh, the fact that a uh, um, a seed will give rise to a sprout, you know that's not uh, the karma of the seed. it just is a part of uh, the laws of nature, as it were. So uh, uh, karma is talking about how we experience encountering these uh, these things. So we have these uh, five spheres of uh, what's going on. We shouldn't take it literally that everything is happening according to karma. Everything that we experience is happening according to karma. That uh, is uh, a uh, point. Then uh, we saw that uh, the uh, uh, other aggregate, other affecting variables is uh, a very large um, grouping of uh, all the other mental factors as well as uh, those uh, non congruent affecting variables. So we saw that we had, uh, uh, besides uh, feeling and distinguishing, there were other uh, so called mechanical mental factors that uh, uh, some are functioning all the time, some are uh, also helping us to uh, gain certainty, stability on an object. I won't list them all, but we had urge was the uh, most significant one, and uh, that for uh, uh, when we're talking about uh, the uh, dividing consciousness then that is a karmic urge, karmic urge too, which is a compelling, compulsive to, it is the uh, um, mental factor that uh, draws, in a compelling way, the primary consciousness and all the other mental factors together with it, not like a horse going ahead, but I mean it all goes together, uh, to an object and uh, with that then attention gives it to a specific object that's attention there is uh, uh, intention intention—the wish to obtain it or to not obtain it and to do something with it and uh, there is uh, um, contacting awareness that uh, finds it pleasant or unpleasant on the basis of that There's feeling happiness or unhappiness about it that uh, keeps us remaining focused on it or moving away. And uh, there is uh, the concentration which is uh, holding on to it and the mindfulness that uh, is the glue to prevent us from uh, letting go of that uh, object. Uh, There are all these mental factors, discriminating awareness and certainty about uh, what it is especially in terms of is it correct distinguishing it as it add certainty to distinguishing is it uh, correct or incorrect is it uh, constructive or destructive Those are the main things that uh, it's uh, involved with so we have these mechanical factors they're there all the time nothing wrong with them Buddha has them as well uh, They can appear as various deities, but basically you can't say that a Buddha doesn't have concentration. So that doesn't make any sense. And uh, there are the uh, constructive mental factors. And again, that uh, is going to accompany not only what we uh, in our ordinary lives uh, have, but uh, Buddha would have them as well. Buddha still has compassion etc., Buddha still has love, uh, all these sort of things. Uh, Buddha still has bodhicitta, bodhicitta, you know, is, uh, you know, for us, it's two factors to aim at uh, uh, enlightenment and uh, with the goal to achieve it and to benefit all beings. Buddha doesn't have to achieve it, but certainly continues to um, you know, with the full intention to benefit all beings. So there's this pure bodhicitta that Buddha has. Uh, the uh, mental activity can also have uh, one of these uh, root, disturbing emotions, like uh, longing, desire, or uh, anger, or uh, uh, ignorance, just not knowing, and. Uh, uh, indecisive, uh, wavering about what is correct, what's incorrect, uh, arrogance you know, puffed up me, me, me and uh, uh, then there's this uh, group of uh, diluted outlooks the one that is most troublesome is the uh, one that is a diluted outlook toward the transitory network meaning the aggregates and uh, it's throwing out the net of me and mine out of it, which is fabricated, you know, truly established me and truly established minds, so dualistic, fabricated by our uh, grasping, the habits of grasping for a truly established existence. That grasping and that habit is what interpolates, in other words, what uh, makes up something and uh, projects it and the uh, mental factors themselves don't do that. No, it does primary consciousness, so they work together that uh, grasping for true existence is uh, there, but uh, in our mental act, with our mental activity, but it is not included in the five aggregates. In that classification scheme, we also have uh, uh, subsidiary, or secondary, or derivative, disturbing emotions that uh, derive from the basically the three so-called poisonous or toxic, um, disturbing emotions. These are subcategories of uh, some of the root disturbing emotions because they are aimed specifically at persons. So, again, longing, desire, or attachment, that's not really a, a subcategory, but hostility is a subcategory of anger, and the naivety about people is a subcategory of ignorance. So we have uh, those so oh, like a subcategory of uh, uh, anger would be hatred and revenge. <laughs> you wanted to get revenge and uh, you know all these sort of growling a grudge uh, this type of uh, uh, derivative disturbing uh, emotions then uh, we also have the changeable ones that uh, depending on what they accompany, can be constructive or destructive like. Regret, You know, regretting doing something destructive is quite different from regretting uh, doing something which is constructive. And in addition to all these mental factors, we have these uh, non-congruent affecting uh, variables, and uh, these are uh, not like... Um, mentally synthesized whole objects, not like that, they're not like categories or anything like that. They are actual facts about um, each moment of uh, mental uh, activity. So, although one In philosophical terms, saying that they are objective facts uh, can get you a little bit in trouble, but uh, for a general way of understanding it, uh, we can say they are objective facts, if we use the South terminology. And uh, so that's impermanence, change, aging, motion, these sort of uh, things, and person is included in that. And uh, these are uh, too subtle to uh, be able to uh, actually um, cognize them with certainty in each moment, although they are appearing. As we saw, you know, in one moment of uh, uh, an object being here, it's in motion, but to be able to really detect the motion, you have to detect more than one moment, so then it becomes, you need a construct into a, uh, a whole object that endures over time in order to actually mm-hmm. be able to uh, focus with certainty and distinguish the motion. So uh, it's the same thing with uh, the self, that uh, each moment of uh, mental activity, It's the individual subjective experiencing of uh, something. So there's a person, it has to be experienced by somebody, but that somebody is not separate from it and it's not identical with uh, what is being experienced. But in order to cognize, to know with certainty, then we have to, it only comes with a sequence of uh, moments of cognition. So I'm looking over here. Then uh, I uh, um, sensory cognition is uh, colored shapes. And then uh, there's a mental non-conceptual cognition. So it, it switches channels to the mental channel, still colored shapes. Then uh, there is a moment of conceptual cognition. And that moment of uh, conceptual cognition is uh, synthesizing those colored shapes into, uh, the colored sh- into the colored shapes of a body. So there's a whole body, during over time, knowable by all the different senses, not just uh, visual. And uh, uh, it appears to be some separate thing over there, and my awareness is over here. You know, me looking at her, looking at the body. And even then it's too it's too subtle. So it's only the next moment. But this it's still a person. And the next moment, then what is appearing, what is arising, is a a hologram of both a body and a person. That's a person. And maybe I know the name. Annie Kunshuk. Maybe I don't know the name, it doesn't matter. And it fits into the category. So then there's a category. You know, the, the one body first was with the category that's a body. It's not a uh, a table. You know, I'm able to distinguish it from the table, even though it's pretty much the same color as what you're wearing. Uh but I can distinguish that. <laughs> There's a way of knowing, which is that uh, if you're really very far away, to know that you have to take another look, a closer look, in order to really be sure what it is. It's a very, very useful type of, uh, you know, way of knowing to be able to acknowledge that that, uh, you know, what did you say? You, know, you have to ask again. That type of uh, of thing, to know that you that you really wasn't certain about what they said or what uh, you were seeing. So anyway, the, uh, uh so there's a category, there's a body. I don't necessarily say, you know, oh, that's, I'm seeing a body. I don't attach the word to it. But uh, I know that <laughs> the word, if I can remember it. And, uh, so the category is the body, and then uh, when I uh, see the body with a the person, there's a fact about the body. It's not the body, you know. It's not a scarecrow or something like that. Then uh, uh, a uh, there's a category of, of, of the person, and that category is not just any gunchok in one moment. That's a category of any gunshok that extends over time, so that every time that I see her or think about her, it fits into that category of any gunshok. That I'm seeing you know, I'm seeing so-called the same person. Obviously, it's the continuum of the same person. So we have these categories. I mean, that's how the mind works. That's how mental activity works. Otherwise, it's very difficult to make sense of anything in terms of uh, continuity. And we have language. Otherwise, you know, you can't communicate. Buddha uses language, so there's nothing wrong with it, unless we take it, you know, in terms of how it makes things appear. That things appear, you know, in boxes, you know, as these words as defined in the dictionary. That type of uh, thing. They're not quite so rigid but it is a device to be able to communicate so this is how i see you know and distinguish that it's any gun joke and not somebody else you, know, you have to distinguish not only any gun joke from the table in front of her but also distinguish her from other people the distinguishing you know doesn't necessarily recognize it but it makes that distinction. Recognition implies remembering something from the past and then comparing it to it. So that's quite a complicated process. Actual recognition. recognition, cognizing again, recognition. So this is how and then there's the grasping for the truly established existence dualistic existence, so that's, you know, any gun joke as, you know, some entity that has come into that body and is activating it and then will fly off and uh, go off into another body, you know, that's that's a fantasy. And uh, also on a more subtle level, that I can know any gun joke, you know, this person uh without, you know, just by herself, without a basis for imputation, without, you know, I, I can't just see any Gunchuk, I have to see a body, and on the body, on the basis of the body, it's any Gunchuk, it's a person. You can't just know any Gunchuk. You know, if you think about it, you're speaking with somebody on the phone, well, to us, automatically it arises. I'm speaking to Annie Gunchuk on the phone. No. You're speaking to a simulation, an electronic simulation of the sound of a voice, and on that basis, it's Annie Gunchuk as a fact about, you know, this is the voice of somebody, of her. But we just say, I'm speaking to Annie gunchok. That's it. I, don't we? Dog has that as well. Automatically uh, arising, and then even deeper, you know, the dualistic appearance that you know the mind aware of her is you know me over here and she's over there as an object. That in that cognition they are arising dualistically. So that is uh, the basic presentation of uh, the mind and the five aggregates. they are uh, the, ag- the person. it's a non-congruent affecting variable doesn't share five things in common with the uh, uh, primary consciousness and the other mental factors but it's there the present happening. part of the aggregate of other affecting variables. It's not something external to it, that the five aggregates are over here and the person is over there. And it's not that uh, the person is one of the aggregates, you know, awareness, consciousness. It's not that either. So when we then uh, deal with daily life, as I've said, it appears to us that each moment is something quite solid and this poor me over here experiencing it i'm experiencing life you know over here life doesn't treat me very well you know this type of uh, attitude my life is terrible or my life is wonderful me separate from my life that's a bit odd isn't it um. <laughs> now I'll live your life rather than my life. You know, I wish I could live your life, we say. That really indicates a false way of thinking, doesn't it? I wish I had your body or your intelligence, your youth. This type of uh, thing that uh, is faulty thinking, that the self is separate from the aggregates. So when we understand the self is part of the aggregates we understand all the aggregates how all of it is changing self is changing moment to moment as well then it gives us the uh, uh, key for being able to apply opponent forces and so on to see exactly where to apply them what to apply them uh, for say if we have a lot of anger or we don't pay attention to things, or our concentration is terrible, or, you know, we're too greedy, or uh, we are, you know, even if we are compassionate and so on, we're so emotional about it, you know, me, 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 and we cry, you know, you know, I feel so much for you that that incapacitates us and we can't do anything. Um, we see what, what is causing the problem by being able to deconstruct and see all the different pieces that are involved and then apply various opponents, not as uh, some external, you know, the dentist coming in and, you know, drilling on the tooth, not like that, uh, for working on our minds, as it were, but uh, just do it just doing it. This is uh, how we work with it. So, in our remaining time then, uh, what questions do you have? Hopefully something. Why don't we take a few moments to Think about it, and then we have our questions. Okay, somebody have the microphone? Yeah, in the back. Pass it in the back. Can you hold it closer to your mouth, please? Oh, also has to be turned on. Yeah, it's on now, I think, I hope.
1: It's a dilemma that uh, to to use uh, concepts to understand something which is beyond uh, concepts. Uh, so uh, could you say something also about uh, uh, other possible approaches? I um, you can we can use our intellect to choose to have faith in a method uh, described. Uh, I mean, you have other approaches like more uh, tantric or Vajrayana approaches.
0: What approaches?
1: Vajrayana.
0: Vajrayana. Yeah.
1: And tantric, uh, other approaches, which are not really very logical, but uh, we just have faith that they they can lead us.
0: uh, uh, Right. Are there other approaches? The... um, (coughs) First of all, there's nothing wrong with, uh, uh, inherently wrong with uh, dealing with uh, concepts without, you know, conceptual constructs of whole objects. It's very difficult to understand uh, or analyze anything. So long as we don't get fooled by the appearance that things exist in boxes and that these categories are boxes and you know truly established as inside this box. If uh, we understand what's going on with conceptual thought, then we can use it as a tool. If we uh, consider Vajrayana Tantra, it, it can only be practiced, successfully on the basis of understanding this, what we've been talking about. Otherwise, when we are unprepared to uh, practice Tantra, it can be very, very dangerous and uh, just be some sort of weird fantasy trip escape. We need to you know, we were speaking about the uh, appearances that arise from uh, dividing, foundational dividing consciousness and uh, uh, foundational deep awareness, deep consciousness, deep awareness. And uh, that you have pure appearances of mandalas and deities and so on from the deep awareness side and our ordinary you know, objects, this uh, old body, <laughs> you know, all these other things are ordinary form from the dividing consciousness. However, what is uh, extremely important to realize is that uh, we're not just speaking about the appearance of what something looks like, but also the appearance of how it exists which would be uh, either truly established you know, in some sort of conceptual way that it actually you know, exists the way that it appears, or in a pure way, not like that, which would only be known non-conceptually beyond words, beyond concepts. Words and concepts means conceptual, so nothing transcendental about it. It's just talking about non-conceptual in a, uh, uh, as a, a way of, of, of saying that expressing that. Now, it's quite possible, then, that from the foundational dividing awareness, our minds are giving rise. In fact, it, it certainly is going to be possible, uh, Is going to happen, because we haven't achieved some high level of realization that the appearances of uh, these deities and mandalas are also going to be a dualistic appearance that's also garbage. Just because it appears in the form of a deity, you know, nothing special about that. You can also, you know, imagine you arise as Mickey Mouse or, uh, you know, Donald Duck or Daisy Duck or whatever. You know, I mean, so what? So the important thing is to understand why these forms, what they represent, and not to grasp at them as, you know, truly established, you know, over there and I'm over here, or I'm inside them, or now I appear at them or something like that. So without that, it's crazy. And uh, also, if you are... So you have to renounce, so renunciation of our ordinary appearance-making, and not just in terms of the form of what it looks like, but of how it appears to exist. So renunciation is absolutely you know, mandatory. And you have to have bodhicitta, That I am aiming, you know, this is what I'm aiming to achieve, you know, with enlightenment. And so I'm doing this in order to achieve enlightenment. So whatever positive force comes from it may contribute to enlightenment. If you don't have that, then you're not dedicating it. Then, if you have at least a good, you know, some sort of positive motivation, you know, or I'm just doing it for fun or whatever... As an escape or, you know, my teacher told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Is Or I promised to do it, not really knowing what I was getting myself into, but okay, I would feel guilty if I don't do it, so I'm going to do it out of guilt, which a lot of people do. Uh, then it just contributes to samsara. It's not dedicated, you know, to more samsara. So as it says in the text, you'd be reborn as a ghost in the form of this deity that you're imagining that you look like. So we certainly don't want that. And without understanding, you know, voidness or emptiness, at least some understanding, then you're taking it to be, you know, truly real. Then, you know, you're like some schizophrenic thinking, I'm Cleopatra or I'm Napoleon. So, that sutra approach and the analytical approach is the basis for it. Now, you have in. Theravada, for example, practice of the four placements of mindfulness. It's done in quite a different way than it. it's done in Mahayana. So don't think that the way that it's done in these Vipassana courses is, is the Mahayana way of doing it. You can do the Vipassana method with compassion to benefit all beings, but it's still not the Mahayana way of doing the four placements of close mindfulness. But in that system, then... You are observing the aggregates without a conceptual framework. But just to observe them, it's very easy to do that in a very dualistic way that I'm over here and I'm observing them. You know, the physical sensations, and the breaths to start with and the physical sensations, and feelings of happiness or unhappiness. Then uh, mind, so uh, the uh, uh, primary consciousness. And then dharma is referring to the mental factors. So, okay, you're observing them, but you have to go the next step, which is to understand their impermanence, which you would observe that they're impermanent, that they're changing all the time. And then the real thing that you have to do is that there's no separate self that's observing it. So... This can be done without having the uh, uh, full conceptual framework of all of it. Um, it's another approach. You know Buddha taught lots of different approaches to suit different people. But this uh, analytical one is uh, you know if you understand what you're doing, a little bit easier. You know, there are two ways of going on a journey. One is uh, you study the map first and then you go. And the other one is you just go without looking at the map and you'll figure it out along the way. So if you study the map first, it's a little bit more, what should we say, secure or stable than trying to sort of figure it out and I'll understand it along the way. But there are many people that like to do it that way, and well, that's fine. If they're successful, great. I, I,
1: probably, was, uh, I probably wasn't uh, clear. Uh, I didn't really reject uh, using concepts and using the, a good build-up or system like you have been doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, The question uh, is uh, if the analytical approach can bring you all the way to, to something which is
0: non-conceptual? That's the well, can the analytical way bring you all the way to non-conceptual? Here is where you have a, uh, a difference of opinion. And I don't think it is actually based on saying, you know, one or the other way is impossible. The question that really divides the uh, approaches of the various Tibetan traditions is how do you get to a non-conceptual state, a non-conceptual cognition. And uh, Galupa says you can do that through analysis and uh, the various non uh schools say uh, you have to go beyond analysis, analysis is conceptual, you have to go beyond words and concepts, which is uh, not saying anything different because uh, both saying, you know, we'll go beyond words and concepts, you know, become non-conceptual, so how do you do that? Well, Sitting and praying that it's going to happen doesn't going to uh, uh, make it happen. Um, the so-called blessings of the guru, well, by itself, it's not like that. Enlightenment isn't a football that the guru grow, you know, throws to you and you catch it and you know now I've got it. Uh, it's not something like that. You know, this you know, very fantasized idea of, you know, I'm going to get this transmission, like a magic wand from the teacher. Uh, Not like that. So, you know, they say, well, through meditation. Well, what are you doing in meditation? You know, you try to meditate in a non-conceptual way. Well, what does that mean? First of all, if you don't understand what conceptual and non-conceptual means, then the whole discussion is meaningless. And if you differentiate it as intellectual and emotional, that's a different those are different variables from conceptual and non-conceptual, not the same. Conceptual means through categories. Fitting it into a category, what by fitting it into a category, it is uh, veiled in a sense, it's not clear, as clear as it could be without a category. So too non-conceptual is to focus on it, not in terms of a category. And categories give the impression that it fits in the box. You know, now I'm meditating on on emptiness again. You know, the, the category. You know, it fits into all the other times that I've been in, meditating on emptiness. Non-conceptual doesn't mean just, you know, no voice going on in your head. You still have concepts without, you know, words going on in your head. So, what does it require? You look at the sutra explanation, it requires out of the three countless eons of building up positive force, the first, only the first, still have two more to go. One more to attain liberation and another one to attain enlightenment. So, come on. This is, uh, that's why I was saying before that you need this positive force. So, how do you build up that positive force, you know, through these other meditations and actually going, you know, on compassion and love and, you know, not just sitting there and wishing everybody well, but actually going out and doing something. So what is the method to become non-conceptual? You know, first you need to understand, you know, there is the so-called discriminating awareness or wisdom of hearing, thinking and meditating. Everybody accepts that no matter what the approach is. You have to hear the teachings so that you know, you know, what is the correct what are the correct words of them. And you have to think about them so that you understand them not just you know presume that they are true, but understand them and and actually be convinced that they're correct. You know, thinking results in understanding, conviction that they are correct, and aspiration that uh, this is something that I want to achieve. That's the result of the thinking process, which is of course conceptual. Then meditating. So meditating, you can use conceptual uh, lines of reasoning, which is conceptual, to bring you, to remind you, to get to that state, you know, neither one nor many. You know, I mean, there are all these lines of reasoning. Self is neither identical to the aggregates, they're totally separate from them. You know? so you use these lines of reasoning, it's conceptual. Then you get to a, uh, uh, a state of... Uh, Focus. Then when you're really accustomed to it, you don't have to go through the line of reasoning, you just you're able to go there instantly, so that's fine. But when you are focusing on it, it can be still with a category, you know. Now I'm focusing on voidness. I was doing it before and now I'm doing it again, I'm trying to improve it, so putting it in the box of you know, voidness, voidness meditation. So eventually you have to get to the point, if there's enough of a buildup of positive force, so that you're able to focus on it without putting it in the box, that's not a conceptual. So, how do you approach that? How do you get there? And in some traditions, the big emphasis is going to be on building a positive force. And so those traditions put a huge emphasis on Nundro, preliminary practices. And do them over and over again. You know, come on, do a million prostrations. You haven't done enough. You know, you're stupid. Bam, you know, go back to doing prostrations. You haven't built, you know, build another tower. You know, Milarepa. This type of uh, thing. And others will debate, you know, and build up the understanding. But you need both, you know, you need the positive force and you need understanding. Yeah.
2: Yes. There is
0: another kind of uh, analytic
2: meditation. Another kind of analytic? It's analytic, uh, it's analytic. It, is, it is not using the words you see in the meditation and ask, Do you see like this? And when you see that things are like this, then you can relax and then they come the next step. Mm -hmm.
0: Right, there is that type of method that's primarily used in Zen where uh, well, the method that I know is used in Zen Yeah, go on In Zen, for instance uh, Koan practice it's
2: It's not in Zen in uh-huh.
0: Right. In Mahamudra, I mean in Zen, just to finish what I was saying, you ask yourself in koan practice, the way it's practiced in Korea, is uh, just one koan, what is it? And by doing that, you get yourself to stop asking. But in Mahamudra, you're focusing on the conventional and deepest nature of mental activity. So either you have read about it and heard about it and thought about it, so that you can actually identify it in your meditation, or you know, good luck. You know, sit there and try to you know figure it out yourself. There's the two approaches. Yes, but it is, it is not like that. It is just
2: you, you look in meditation and see how things are.
0: Right, to see how things are. You might not recognize it because the mind doesn't make things appear how they are.
2: You, you, you use the questions and try to meditation to see.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you, your question. Perhaps somebody can help I, you I, with I, English.
2: Somebody used that method. Mm-hmm. In the country. And it goes all over levels.
0: Right. Whatever method that you follow is going to proceed in levels. Definitely.
1: Yes.
0: Definitely. So the question is how much instruction before meditation do you need? That's really the uh, issue.
2: Yes, you get pointing uh, out instructions. Pardon? You get pointing out instructions.
0: Yes, you get pointing out instructions, so those are instructions. You know what to do, what you're looking for. Without that, and you need to understand the instructions.
2: Yes, but do you see it? It's not, it's not verbal, conceptual.
0: Well, the pointing out instructions, as I said, it's not, you know, they're throwing a football to you. They are communicating in some way. Yes. They're communicating in some way. Now, for some super special disciples with a super special uh, karmic relation, probably from past lives, with a super special guru, then just being in their presence is going to you know, cause some uh, karmic instinct to ripen, and you know, voila, I've gotten it. But uh, that's very, 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 very rare. And it's very easy to fool ourselves into thinking that we've got that, when in fact it's not. It is described, though, in text, sure. But that's very special. That's very special. Usually, for sure, we need instructions in words. And having it live from a teacher gives us some, it, ins- more inspiration than just reading it. Especially just reading it on our phone. While listening to music at the same time. Multitasking. But yes, there are different methods different methods the aim however is understanding and without understanding either you try to get the understanding first and then you test it out in experience or through experience you get the understanding but in any case you need to understand understand means accurate and decisive that's the definition wonderful Buddha taught many different methods skillful means. Buddha was the master and recognized that different people are going to learn in different ways. Fine. Anyone else? Hans-Peter, you had a question.
1: Okay, so what I take from these days is uh, um, now, is um, when you're moving about in everyday life or here or whatever, that you need some sort of a a suspicion towards your own sort of uh, that there's an element that you should be suspicious of yourself basically. Is that like a healthy way of looking at it?
0: Well, I wouldn't say suspicious. That sounds more like paranoid. Uh, we don't want to be paranoid. We don't want to be the policeman with ourselves. In a you know, in one sense, you do want to be the policeman, but you don't want to be, you know, in the sense that we um, ethical self-discipline is defined as a, a restraint from acting uh, destructively. And so you have to be alert. Alertness is a mental factor, not listed here, but in our 51. But alertness is a mental factor to, you know, you're aware of what's going on. because you're interested in it, so you pay attention to it. And then alertness is uh, when there's something, you know, troublesome going on. Ding, 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 ding. And then you, you know, bring your attention back or whatever. So we need to be alert. But it's not a separate me that's being alert. The thing is that in our daily lives, when do you want to apply this? Well, you could apply it all the time, then it's uh, you know then you're pretty highly advanced. But uh, when you uh, would want to apply it is when you are in a disturbed state of mind, and don't wait too long because uh, if you get really strongly into being angry or upset. Or whatever, then it's much more difficult to uh, get out of it. But if you can catch it in the beginning, and this is what is uh, trained in, you know, just your basic shamatha meditation, to notice when you're when you lose your focus, when mindfulness is lost, so you know the mental glue is let is loosened and mind wanders away, and to bring it back more quickly and quickly. So this is, you know. You're developing a skill, you know, there's no big deal to focus on the breath. Um, But uh, you want to use that in daily life. So when I start to get upset, when I start to get greedy, when I start to get angry, to catch it, you know, to notice it, and then alertness, and then apply this. you know, if you're familiar enough with the, with the analytical thing, you don't have to go through a whole conceptual framework. You don't have to recite, you know, this, this aggregate and that aggregate, and you know, go through a list and that. You just—that's the whole point of uh, um, familiarizing yourself over and over again. So now you're familiar with this, and so then then you can see instantly what's what's the problem is. You know, there's me. I'm self cherishing. You know, I don't like it. You know, why should why should I like everything? Why should everything be the way that I like it? You know, that's self-centered. You know, I don't like it, so what? So you see, you know, what is the problem? Then you, you apply an opponent. So that's the time to apply it when you notice that, uh, you know, I'm sitting and I'm working at the computer and then, oh, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like, you know, doing anything more. I feel like doing something else. So then you discriminate. You know, do I really have to do it or could it wait? You know, could I take a break? Then you decide. You know, what is the motivation? Is it laziness? Is it legitimate tiredness? You know, what is it? So you see. You're able to distinguish between being lazy and being tired. If you're tired, perfectly okay to take a rest. You have to take a rest. If you're just being lazy, then, you know, you work on the intention. The mo- you know, what are you doing this for? What's the goal? Why are you doing it? It's boring? Well, find something interesting about it. You know, it's interesting to see if I can type without making mistakes even if what I'm typing is complete garbage you know so you work with all these factors anyway it's time to uh, call this uh, to a close so we think whatever positive force whatever understanding has come from this may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for everyone to reach the enlightened state of a Buddha for the benefit of all